You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Woo! That's how excited I am. It's future excitement, but it's excitement because uh, this podcast is actually pre-recorded. Um, I didn't do it yesterday when it's actually going to, uh, when it's launching. Uh, it's going to launch, today is either the 7th, 8th, or 9th of November. Hopefully by now you guys have got to spend some serious time in a tree. If not, find a way to do it. Uh, it is that time of year when the deer are going bananas. This is when you have the best shot of killing one of these uh, mature bucks that we all dream about. I'll be in a tree stand, and uh, hopefully you guys can be in a tree stand as well. Again, make sure you give your wife and kids a big fat hug, and maybe take the wife out for dinner or something like that to, uh, you know, tell her you appreciate her letting you have some time away from uh, the family. Or if you're, you know, got a girlfriend, or hell, if you're a, a female and you have a, a husband who takes care of the kids while you hunt, all the power to you. But, uh, yeah, good luck. Uh, and when you start getting tired after grinding it out for a long time, you know, slow down, make some good decisions. And, uh, it's just a matter of time during the rut, man. That's, that's the way I look at it. Of course, you know, I've never hunted heavily public, hunted public ground. And, uh, I know the horror stories that can go with that, but, uh, good luck to absolutely everybody I'm pulling for you. And then when you are successful, hit me up with uh, a message on Facebook or an email and we can definitely go out and uh, maybe schedule a podcast and uh, yeah I'm just blabbering at this point but today we have a really cool podcast with Brandon Reyes from Trueball and he's going to talk to us about their products their product history product specs and uh, kind of what kind of releases are good for what kind of archer so uh we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, I just want to take some time to talk to you about Exodus Trail Cameras. Um, now, I've been using them for almost a year now, and they have yet to fail on me. Um, and this is just me talking to you from a hunter to a hunter. And one thing that I is very obvious, they are paying me for advertising. But what I'm telling you is the, the trail cameras that I've collected over the years 
are starting to fail. And it's only been three or four years. Now, I can't talk to that yet on on uh, Exodus. But what I can talk to you about is the ease of use. You put a trail camera or a D, an SD card in the trail camera. You turn it on after you format the card, and it works. It's that simple. There are other trail cameras that I have used that are not that simple. So not only is it easy to use, but it's not missing any pictures that I have out in the timber. It is getting the deer that I want in front of the camera. So it is it is functioning the way a trail camera should function. And, uh, you know, I know I'm getting paid to say this, but I want you guys to know that these cameras work. And, you know, if you guys do decide to purchase one of these cameras, for, the first thing I suggest you do is go to exodusoutdoorgear.com, review on some of these, you know, read up on these, read reviews online, just like anything, and go and, and do your research just like you would any other product. But then when it's time to purchase, use the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will receive $20 off of your order. So there's that. Now let's get into today's podcast with Brandon Reyes from Trueball. All right. On the phone with us now from Trueball is Brandon Reyes. How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, man. Um, so before we start talking about Trueball and what you do there and uh, a little company history and whatnot, let's talk about the most important thing, and that is, have you had a chance to get out and do some hunting this year? Oh, I have, and uh, I had a big trip, uh, you know, to Alaska pretty much the whole month of September. Oh, wow. uh, spent uh, spent a couple weeks up there. I had drew a moose tag, and I had an opportunity. I was unsuccessful as far as bringing an animal home, but. Uh, uh, it was a great experience. It was my first trip up there, and uh, I'm, I'm a little more in tune to what I need to prepare for next time. Uh, it was a do-it-yourself deal, so uh, it, it made it a little more difficult. You know, I, I've hunted with guides before, and it does make it easier on a first trip somewhere like that, but uh, um, it, uh, it was a fun trip nevertheless, and I look forward to going back. Uh, uh, other than that, uh, I've done a few uh, just local, uh, you know, hunts right here around home in Virginia. Uh, and on Saturday, uh, I'm leaving for an annual trip that I take out to Illinois for a whitetail hunt. So oh, nice. uh, awesome. looking forward to uh, the next week or two. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you a second about that Alaska hunt. Um, what was yeah. it kind of a, a flight in, they dropped you off or did you float a river or what was the story there? Uh, I, I did a, a do it yourself hunt and I was up on the Dalton highway um, which, uh, basically runs parallels the Alaskan pipeline from okay. the Arctic circle, uh, and well through the Arctic circle to, uh, what they call uh, a place called Prudhoe Bay, which is up on the Arctic ocean. Okay. And what happens is, uh, this corridor, this road, uh, that, uh, skirts the Alaskan pipeline, uh, is the means of transportation for everything North to the Arctic ocean in the Prudhoe Bay. Uh, cause really the only thing that comes out of that area is oil. And, okay. uh, so everything else has to be trucked up. So we use this road as our access and, uh, we drove up from, um, I basically flew into Anchorage and I spent a week down there for vacation with my family. 
and then they flew home and I, uh, drove up with some friends of mine, uh, through Fairbanks and then up through the Dalton highway all the way to a little small, basic little truck stop area off the side of the road called Coldfoot. And that's basically right around there's where we had uh, pitched, uh, our, our base camp. And the nice thing is, um, I didn't, I didn't have to get too far off the road to find moose and because the area is very well populated and, you know, I just had to find one that was over 50 inches cause that was my stipulation as a non-resident. Okay. So it was kind of a different, uh, uh, Alaskan moose hunt than most people are in tune to hearing. Most of those hunts are a fly in style, like you mentioned, but this particular one, because my tag was in this specific unit along the Dalton highway slash Alaskan pipeline, it's archery only hunting five miles east and west of that Alaskan pipeline. Oh, wow. So there's no gun pressure and the bulls get big and there's a lot of them. And, you know, it's just an awesome area uh, because it's bow only that whole distance. Five, I think it's over 500 miles from uh, Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay where that uh, pipeline ends that either east or west of that pipeline five miles in both uh both directions so 10 miles total is archery only and then once you get outside of that five mile corridor on either side then the gun hunting starts so it was basically an archery only uh uh hunt and the access was rather easy so you know there was no float planes uh no bush planes no nothing like that we could actually drive in drive in uh close to our hunting area and then we could hike from there uh, you know, any, no matter how you look at it, we weren't going to walk pretty much, you know, much over 10 miles unless we walked straight out and straight back, you know? So a lot of our days, you know, we, we weren't, uh, uh, you know, we weren't walking much, you know, because the bulls were, you know, it was perfect timing for the bulls as far as, uh, uh, get coming into the mating season. So they were reactive to the calling and stuff like that. So did you see a lot of moose while you're up there as far numbers, numbers wise? Yeah, we did see quite a few. Um, I saw probably this, this one that I was particularly after I had seen him, I had actually shot him on the eighth day. Uh, and, uh, I had seen him six out of the eight days prior to that. So, uh, he was pretty visible. Uh, I saw uh, probably another three, uh, shooter bulls that were 50 plus. And then several cows, several calves, and several, you know, smaller bulls, you know, that were, of course, under the uh, uh, the regulated 50 inches that I had to, to go for. But, uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of bulls, and we saw uh, a lot of activity, um, and we saw, you know, several hunters that had been successful, too. Oh, nice. So, uh, when I, when I think of uh, Alaska, I also think of bears. Did you have any, uh, grizzly presence while you were up there? Uh, I actually spotted one, uh, in the area that I was, uh, that I had focused on, uh, most of my hunt up there. Uh, we had spotted one, but we were, you know, nowhere close to it. Um, one of the fellow guys that was in our party that was uh, actually an Alaskan resident, um, had an encounter with one at about 10 yards. Uh, and it was just a little smaller than, a little smaller than what he wanted to shoot, which, you know, he was specifically hunting bear, uh, uh, brown bears, but, uh, he, uh, 
he, you know, he decided to pass on it and, uh, you know, they went each other's separate ways, but, uh, we, we saw several, several bears, several, uh, black bears as well. And, uh, a couple of the guys made a couple of the guys that was with us in our camp, you know, made stocks on them. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was a lot of bear presence and a lot of sign. So, you know, they're definitely there. What is the, what's the terrain look like up there? Is it fairly flat or is it like big hills or, or even mountainous? What's the, what's the story with that? Uh, it's, it's mountainous, uh, it's mountainous, but, uh, you know, most of the, the moose, you know, in the particular area that we were hunting in, uh, I would consider it more, uh, uh, not necessarily flat, but kind of rolling. I mean, there's certainly mountains there that you can climb if you want to, but there's obviously going to be no moose there. Uh, you know, at the time of the season, we were there, you know, they had, they may have gone back into the, uh, uh, into the valleys and stuff, but they weren't, you know, up real high. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, I always hear, heard people, you know, say hundreds of times, you know, basically every picture that somebody could ever imagine taking in Alaska is a, you know, is a postcard style picture. Uh, it's just that beautiful. And I agree with that. And I, I never believed that until I actually went there. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to take a picture in Alaska without seeing a mountain in the background or, you know, something like that. But, uh, certainly, you know, uh, you know, depending on what you're hunting dictates whether you're going to have to go up in those mountains or not. And fortunately where we were at, you know, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, there's, there's some elevation change, uh, but it's, it's not like a, I guess a Colorado high country elk hunt where you're right. 10, 12,000 feet sucking air because it's, you know, thin air. Right. Um, you know, that's not, uh, you I mean, you don't have that there. And even, you know, talking to some of the guys that uh, I ran into while I was out there, uh, that sheep hunt or, you know, that goat hunt, a lot of their successful, uh, hunters take animals, mainly between the four and 6,000 feet range. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not real. It's not like what you would imagine as a Colorado guy, uh, Colorado high country guy, uh, you know, where it's, it's real thin air and the, uh, the, the hunt is, you know, physically demanding. I mean, certainly you can get, you can get that, especially when you're talking a goat hunt, but, uh, you know, on this particular hunt with myself, you know, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty easy, and uh, you know I was kind of surprised at that aspect. But because uh, uh, I had prepared, you know, and I had lost about 15 pounds trying to shed weight prior to going because I didn't know what to expect. Right. And uh, overall, it was a great thing, but uh, it was uh, still not as not as demanding as you know some of the other hunts I've been on in New Mexico or Colorado or something like that. Right. Right. Makes sense. Yep. Well, I tell you what, one of these days I'm gonna. You know, when my kids get older and uh, I'm not spending so much money, I think uh, I want to I want to make an Alaska trip of some sort to maybe hunt moose or or just go yep. up there just to say, hey, man, I've been to Alaska because every person I've ever talked to says you got to go to Alaska. Yeah, it's uh, it's a no brainer. And then once you go, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get back. And <laughs> I'm already doing that a couple different ways. So I've got uh, one of my friends. uh that I shoot professionally with that, uh, we've been working on a deal on another moose hunt. And then I also inquired about a sheep hunt because 
you know, sheep can be very demanding and I, you know, I want to do that before I get too much older. Uh, you know, it's from everybody I've talked to, it's like the, uh, the biggest, you know, most demanding probably as far as, uh, you know, having a bucket list item, it's like one of the things that stand out on most people's lists. And it's probably, it's like one of the most elite hunts that, uh, you know, people talk about. So before I get too much older and, you know, that was, that was something that I wanted to check into. So I'm kind of feeling out some, uh, uh, a guy that I know that's a resident there in Alaska. Uh, he's got some buddies that, uh, that guide, uh, nice. for sheep. So we're trying to see if we can work something out maybe in the next year or two. Back to this moose hunt a second. Was this a, a mm-hmm. one time, a one time draw or how many years did you have to draw in order to get that, that tag? Uh, this particular unit is, uh, a lot of people don't put in for it. And, uh, it's, uh, I actually, drew the very first year that I put in for it, which my odds of drawing were only 20%, which is better than some, but, uh, you know, I've put in for hunts in in places that you're probably less than a percent of drawing, uh, like Maine. I've put in Maine for, uh, six years and, uh, it's, you know, a point, you get a point each year to build up your point system or to build up your point totals but your odds of drawing are like less than a percent as a non-resident. So yeah. until your numbers get up higher, you know, it's quite a bit different, but this particular uh, area that I, that I put in for in, in Alaska is not a very popular place for people to put in it, put in as far as residents or non-residents. So it's like a one in five draw. But uh, the thing about that is you can't draw two, you can't draw the same unit back to back years. Okay. So I can put in again for, uh, you know, another unit next year, but then I can't put in for the unit that I actually drew this year until there's a year gap in between. So, uh, you know, there's a few, few things you got to, you know, pay attention to and, and adhere to the, the guidelines on, but, uh, yeah, I can't put in for that one, uh, you know, and hunt that same bull next year. Should he, you know, should he make it through the winter that, right. uh, that I hunted this year because, uh, I'd have to wait that extra year. Right. Okay. Well, there's that. But, there's that. Uh, yep. T- today we're going to be talking about, you know, we're going to transition over to true ball. And that's what this is. Uh, this podcast is about today. It's a gear podcast mm-hmm. talking about uh, true ball and their, and their releases. But before sure. we start getting into the meat and potatoes of, you know, your guys's product and uh, specs and lines, why don't you fill us in with a little bit of company history as far as when it started, maybe what some of the first products were, and also introduce yourself and what you do for the company. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Brandon Reyes. I'm a, a uh, the director of marketing here at Trueball and Excel. And then I also coordinate, um, you know, our shooting staff program as well. So I'm dealing with people from basic shooters that work behind the counters at, factor, uh, at shops or uh, through factories all the way up to paid pro staff or paid hunting personalities like Michael Waddell or, uh, or some of those guys. So I kind of cover that whole range of, uh, the marketing side as well as magazine advertisements, social media, all that good stuff. So that's, uh, that's part of my job title. Um, I also, uh, have been a professional archer for Matthews for, this is going to be my 11th season, uh, this year. And I've been shooting for, almost 30 years, but, uh, that's, 
a little personal history. Uh, as far as company history, uh, Trueball is 20 years old. Um, you know, we came around 1995. And prior to that, uh, basically, it was uh, our parent company called SNS Machine Incorporated uh, was a machine shop that uh, specialized in precision machining for local industry. And we made a lot of uh, specialized parts for um, companies within our community uh, that was uh, important for them to be able to keep them running. Uh, so we did a lot of specialty uh, time, specialty material type uh, manufacturing to get them up and running. And some of the companies that we dealt with uh, were in the nuclear industry uh, and also uh, all the way down to a company uh, that we're all familiar with called Glad Manufacturing. And this is a company that makes uh, makes trash bags. So a lot of our responsibility in our machine shop was to ensure that their uh, machines were running. If something broke down, we would do everything we could as quick as we could to get that machine back running. So um, a lot of specialized stuff like that, a lot of custom stuff. And, uh, you know, that's where uh, uh, FNS shined. And after about, I think they're um, an extra 10 years. So they're almost 30 years old. Um, and then after that first 10 years of business in 1995, they were looking, uh, you know, the economy was kind of down in certain areas and business kind of slowed down. And they, my father-in-law, who owns the company, had lost a contract with one of the larger companies in town here. So they looked at an alternative way to be able to keep the employees employed uh, and still make money. And they looked to the archery industry and developed uh, uh, a few uh, products. And the first thing that Trueball ever made was the True Knock. And if you're not familiar with the True Knock, it's the metal knock that mounts onto your thing that serves as basically a D-loop made out of metal. Uh, so that was the first, uh, first, um, product that, uh, Trueball ever made. And since that, uh, you know, they developed into making release aids and back in 2007, we started making target sites. Um, and then the target sites led into the hunting sites and here we are today. So, but, uh, you know, since day one, Trueball has been dedicated to the target archer and with that we're able to bring high quality products not only to the target industry but we've taken a lot of those technologies into the hunting industry as well and made high quality parts and products that are made in the usa okay perfect so i want to i have so many questions about this and, and i'm just going to go with what's right off the top of my head Okay. And uh, so for my entire life, I, for my entire hunting career, I, I started hunting with uh, a wrist release, a wrist strap release. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not even sure what, I know it was a true ball. Uh, I bought it back in probably 1998 or 1999 when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I had that for however many years until I bought another release, which was another true ball. But, um, I, for a while there, I was, I was having form issues and someone mentioned to me, maybe you should go to a, 
a handle release. Um, mm-hmm. So what, first off, can, maybe can you talk to someone who doesn't know what the difference between a, a wrist strap release and a handle release is, and then from, from your archery experience, professional archery experiment experience, talk a little bit about the method used to use those releases and maybe the difference between them. Okay. Uh, well, just to simply give you a better understanding, if you don't know the difference, a wrist strap is simply, uh, you know, a buckle or a Velcro style strap that hooks up to your wrist. Uh, a rope that uh, attaches to the actual jaws and trigger uh, of the actual mechanical release aid that hooks up to your bowstring. And then the handheld side, uh, you know, you can attach them to a wrist strap, you know, to keep from losing them and stuff like that. However, the, uh, the, the actual part of the release is actually in your, the palm of your hand as opposed to uh, basically just be, being wrapped around your wrist. So something you hold as opposed to something that's around your wrist. Um, 90, I don't even, it's, it's a very high percentage, I would say in the mid nineties, uh, as far as percentages that, uh, people took wrist straps as far as hunters to the woods. I mean, it was, you know, this is probably, you know, when I started, you know, probably 20, 25 years ago, hunting actively, you know, 95% of the people that used a mechanical release aid were using a wrist strap style release. And, you know, for obvious reasons, belts were not as popular as they are now. And the fact that, uh, you know, it was the most readily available are probably the three most important reasons that people used straps as opposed to handles. And you could throw in their affordability, too. Uh, and, you know, you could get a, a wrist strap for as little as 20 bucks, where most of your handles... To get a quality handle, you're going to be closer to 100 bucks. So, you know, those are important reasons of why people chose a wrist strap style release in, in those days, as compared to now, where uh, you know that percentage has drastically dropped as far as the number of people that carry, uh, you know, a handheld versus a wrist strap to the woods. So, it's uh, it's a lot of personal preference, and ultimately, I think that you know. You could be a great shooter with both styles, but I think you could be a little bit better. You can be, you know, a great shooter, uh, you know, with a um, with a handheld style. I just think that the form that it allows the archer to have is a little more, uh, is a little better than the form that uh, and the habits that can be picked up with. A, a trigger style release or index finger or wrist strap is what we're calling it. So, um, I, I tend to train people, uh, with handheld style releases and, you know, it's up to them to decide what they want to hunt with. But, uh, I think, you know, like I mentioned, a good shooter can be great if they put the time in with a handheld style, with a handheld style release. Fade. Okay. So can you, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on some of those form issues that may be able to be solved by a handle release over a wrist strap release. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big, uh, one of the big ones is, uh, 
is target panic. And I, I firmly believe that uh, a wrist strap style release is more conducive to target panic than any other type. And that's probably one of the biggest, uh, uh, you know, biggest selling points for me is it, it always seems to me when I'm training people or helping people get started that, uh, you know, picking up the bad habit of punching the trigger or, um, you know, getting target panic, however that may come about, uh, can a lot of times be traced back to that index style or wrist style release. Uh, and the biggest thing is, um, initially, and, and I still believe to this day that this is a problem is that not a lot of people that are selling these release aids to people actually know the best way to fit a person to them. And, you know, it, it really, you know, when I'm looking on, on the line, you know, at a tournament or, uh, uh, you know, at a get together where a bunch of people are shooting and I just kind of look at their form, a lot of times uh, you see guys with the trigger absolutely on the tip of their finger. Uh, and you can tell or you know that that's going to be or has been a problem for them, uh, you know, throughout their whole shooting career, you know, however long it's been. Because, you know, had they been properly fitted, you know, with the trigger, you know, in a location that it's actually supposed to be, which I train and teach people that, you know, either in that first, uh, uh, the first knuckle of your index finger or even between the first and second knuckle is where you want that trigger to fall when you're at full draw. And, you know, seeing people reach absolutely as far as they can reach, you know, just to be able to reach the trigger is, is, is a major problem. And, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to basically encourage people to try to punch the trigger. And the farther you have that trigger on the tip of your finger, the more movement you're going to make. So the more movement you make there is amplified by, you know, the downrange movement uh, that you're actually moving on your target. So if you're moving, uh, you know, a little bit at uh, full draw, um, you know, on your release aid before it fires, it's going to be, you know, quite a bit at 20 yards or 30 yards or however far you're shooting. So, um, you know, target panic, um, punching the trigger are, are probably two of the, the biggest, uh, you know, problems that you can experience with a wrist strap style release easier than any other type of release, in my opinion. Okay. So you're saying that the, with a handheld release, because there's less movement to actually trigger or, engage that release mm-hmm. that's going to keep you from making extra movements uh therefore you know moving your bow or your your less motion in your form so to speak yeah that's one of the main reasons and and you can still uh i'd mentioned target panic and punching the trigger you can still do that with all types of release aids whether it's a back tension whether it's a thumb activated handheld or whether it's a wrist strap i mean don't get me wrong. You can still do that in all those con- with all those concepts or styles of shooting, but I think the probability of that happening is greater with a wrist strap. And I think, uh, you know, with a handheld style, I think you're going to be ac- more accurate for one. And yes, it's going to cut down on that movement. You actually are uh, triggering the release aid with your thumb as opposed to your index finger. And I've always you know, just growing up in archery forever. Uh, I've always heard some old timers say, you know, it seems like they're, 
you know, is some type of mechanism or some type of nerve that runs from the tip of your finger to your brain that says punch, you know, and that, uh, that movement or that mechanism is, uh, is amplified with that index finger. And I, I think getting people to try to try the thumb, you know, if they've never done it before, they will see, you know, I think they will see an increase in their accuracy. Uh, you know, even I've seen a lot of people uh, happen a lot to a lot of people the first time they've ever, they've ever used it. So, uh, if done properly, I think, uh, it's the way to go in my opinion. And I look at it this way as a target shooter, uh, 3d shooter. I shoot a thumb activated handheld all summer long. So, it's silly for me to try to train myself in a month or two prior to hunting season to shoot anything but a handheld. So I, I transition the same release aid that I use for target shooting. Uh, you know, when I set my hunting bow up, I use the same, the same release aid. It's just, uh, you're used to it. You're used to the feel. Um, you know, most of them you can, put out a tree stand or drop stalking an animal or whatever and uh you know that luxury is there you know if you want to choose to go that route but i just it's a no burn for me so that's why i choose to do that okay so so for me um i I tried to make that uh that uh switch from a wrist strap to a handheld and i felt like that my draw length needed to be different is that Mm -hmm. the case a lot of times it is and uh you know, normally it's going to be fairly close. It depends on your anchor point. Uh, and also depends, uh, on what I had mentioned earlier. A lot of guys stretch out their index finger, uh, or they have the shaft of their, of their wrist strap release very long. And when you move from a handheld style, which is going to eliminate a lot of that, uh, that shaft length as you, as on a wrist strap release to a much shorter neck, a lot of times you will realize that, yeah, with a wrist strap, your, your draw length is probably too long or longer than it needs to be. And then if you were to transition to a uh, handheld style, you might realize that, hey, my, I feel like I'm cramped up. Or I don't feel like my draw length's long enough. And generally that's the case. Uh, you know, that, uh, that difference in distance needs to be made up somewhere to be able to make it feel right to you. And a lot of times that is, uh, you know, done with the drawing. Okay. Gotcha. Now going back and forth from one or the other, are there any subtle, subtle changes that one needs to make? Uh, if, as far as going from one to the other, is there any, any form differentiations? Uh, yeah, the form, uh, you know, like we just mentioned with the drawing is gonna, it's going to feel a little different. Um, and a lot of times, depending on how you anchor is also going to change your peep height too. So, uh, you know, as far as actual feel, uh, you know, those changes in draw length and changes in peep height are going to make things feel a little different. So, uh, you know, it's, it's possible that, uh, you know, that's going to, uh, you know, need, need to be adjusted to, uh, to make it feel right for you. But, uh, you know, that would be, the first thing that come to mind, you know, to me is that, you know, there's going to have to be, you know, cause I, I notice, you know, and it, it may sound weird, but you know, I, uh, 
I noticed, you know, about an eighth of an inch difference in draw length. Um, so, you know, I could, I could see somebody, you know, that's shooting a bow that's an inch or two too long for them, uh, compared, you know, with a wrist strap as, you know, compared to a, a handle, uh, that just a little bit of change makes a huge difference in, difference in feel. So, uh, you know, I, I've changed my D loop by, you know, just being an eighth of an inch longer, you know, like instead of using four inches of material, I've used four and an eighth inch of material and it, it made the bow feel totally different. So, you know, anytime, you know, you, you make a subtle change like that, it's going to, it's going to transition to, uh, you know, a totally different feel, which could be good or could be bad depending on your individual situation. But, uh, it's something that, uh, people need to realize that, you know, if I'm going to change from a wrist strap to a handle, it can completely change my whole setup, my whole tune. The arrows that we're working are not going to work now. The, uh, you know, the paper tune is going to be completely out of whack in some situations. So there's a lot of things to be taken into consideration and, uh, you know, draw length and changing from one release aid to a different, different type, uh, you know, could, could totally put all that out of whack and with that being said even if you change from like a caliper style release aid to a hook style release aid that hooks directly in can take uh, can make a change in the tune of your bow and uh you know you'll you'll either notice inconsistencies in your groups or uh you know just total you know right arrow flight you know, those are just a couple that come to mind that, uh, you know, that would uh, stand out, you know, just by changing simple things like that. Okay. So kind of a, a broader question now would be, I'm looking for a new release, or maybe I'm a first time archer, or uh, mm-hmm. I want to change brands or whatever. How do I know, or where should I start as far as what release is the best for me? Uh, well, the biggest thing, uh, when I'm working with somebody and, you know, they ask that question, the first thing is feel. It's got to feel to you. It's got to feel good to you. Uh, otherwise it's never going to feel right. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at it like, uh, you know, picking out a pair of gloves or something like that. When you put the gloves on, if they're too tight or too loose, it just doesn't feel right. Well, it's never going to feel right. So, uh, when somebody's selecting, you know, you know, a new release or something like, uh, you know, a style that's going to fit them. Uh, that is the first thing, you know, it's got to fit right and it's got to feel right. And the fit right is more important because we get back to that, uh, scenario where I told you where, you know, people are reaching for the trigger because it's too long. You got to get something that's adjustable that you can bring that in and out depending on your finger length, uh, depending on how it feels when you're at full draw. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, the, the, for a wrist strap style release, that's the first two things that, uh, you know, that I would, I would look at when trying to fit somebody for, you know, a new style. And after you get that narrowed down, then, you know, if you've got a, you know, multiple ones, like we make probably, I don't know, 30 different type of wrist strap releases, you know, when you include the sizes and the, you know, the different, uh, configurations. So, when you get it narrowed down to four or five or six, then you can go back and say, well, what's going to work best for me? Uh, is it going to be, you know, a caliper style? Or is it going to be a hook style? Uh, you know, or is it going to be the, 
on a totally different avenue with the handheld style. So, uh, you know, once you get the fit down and the feel down for four or five, then you can go back and, and, and get a little more selective on what you actually want. But, uh, you know, I would recommend that if it doesn't fit right, put it back on the shelf and find something that does. And then, you know, start making a list or, you know, group the ones together that, uh, you know, are going to work right and go from there. Okay. Now, is there a progression someone needs to make? Like, cause you've, you mentioned that you feel that a, a handled release, uh, may provide someone more accuracy than a wrist strap release. Um, mm-hmm. and then you get into that handle release. Is there a different, uh, um, is there a difference between, I know there's a difference, but I guess from a progression to I, someday I'm a beginner and now I want to be, right. I want to be the best archer that I can be is a, mm-hmm. a back tension release, uh, going to be that next progression after a trigger release. Uh, a lot of times that's the direction it goes. Um, you know, a lot of times people, people get that wrist strap initially because it is the easiest. Um, uh, but it also, if you look at it from another standpoint, it's the easiest to develop bad habits with too. Right. So that depends on, uh, you no, know, depends on where you go. And, you know, if you go to a pro shop as opposed to going to a box store, right. uh, you know, what kind of, uh, expertise you're getting from behind the counter i know a lot of people uh that visit an actual true blown pro shop would get a little different response as opposed to somebody that um that maybe goes to a box store uh such as you know whatever where somebody behind the counter may not have the the knowledge that somebody at a pro shop does and I'm not saying that there isn't somebody at those facilities that, you know, can give you that type of uh, expertise because there are in a lot of cases. But, um, you know, there's a lot that aren't, too. So it just depends on what day you go. Um, so, you know, to get back to the question, the, um, you know, it's, it's totally where you go and who you see on, you know, the initial uh, – you know, the initial release that you're going to be set up with and what they believe in and what you're looking for. Um, you know, the ultimately, um, you know, if somebody wants to transition into a back tension release for hunting, which you're seeing more and more, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, more people are, are hunting with a back tension. Uh, a lot of times those people have came from, uh, you know, from the bottom up and they have shot the wrist strap style, uh, when they first started or, uh, or they shot the wrist strap and graduated into a thumb activated handle. Uh, and then now they're going into a back tension that is, you know, a customary transgression, you know, wrist strap handle, thumb activated, and then handle back tension. A lot of guys don't just jump in the back tension boat, you know, and, and jump in with both feet and, and force themselves to learn it. Uh, they generally come with a little bit of knowledge of a handheld style release and how to draw it um, and how to draw it safely is important when you're, uh, you know, shooting a hinge style or back tension release. So uh, that's kind of the transgression. A lot of times uh, your beginners will start with a wrist strap and maybe, you know, 
some of them stay with that wrist strap, but a lot of times uh, they may feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm as good as I'm going to get with a wrist strap, so they want to try something different to kind of get a little better. In most cases, that's a thumb style or a thumb activated style uh, handle release. Okay. So, with that said, do you feel that somebody just starting out and forcing themselves to maybe start out with a back tension release, although it may be difficult at the beginning, will in turn make them a, a better archer in the long run? I think that's true, but I think selection, uh, you know, with that first back tension release is very important. Um, you know, I, I think that's a great, great way to shoot. And, you know, I teach a lot of people that method, uh, and a lot of the shooters are great. Um, however, if you jump in both feet with a back tension release, I would suggest jumping in with, uh, you know, a type that has a safety mechanism that's going to ensure that you're not going to knock your two front teeth out the first time you go to draw the bow. And one of the, uh, one of our products that's been out for 15 years, uh, is a handle style release called a sweet spot. And the sweet spot has a safety lever, uh, a safety mechanism that when activated, you can pull the handle in any direction and the release will not fire. But when you take that safety switch and click it off, then your release becomes hot and you're able to execute and fire a good, you know, solid back tension shot without having any worries of it premature uh, releasing or you sending an arrow through the woods and losing it or sending one through your house if you're trying to train indoors. Um, all that's eliminated with that if it's used in the proper form that it's meant to. And that's, that's why we've kept it. And that's why we've kept it, uh, you know, in our, uh, in our uh, lineup of releases for, you know, like I said, 15 years now is because it is one of the greatest back tension training devices to ever hit the market. And we just recently, this, uh, last year, um, updated to a sweet spot pro so now we have the original sweet spot version and then now we have a sweet spot pro version uh which was sought after you know all of last year you know probably got more attention in uh, all of the first uh, 10 or 15 years that we have the original uh, uh, sweet spot so yeah when you are trained back tension right out of the get-go i you know the most important part that i try to tell people is getting one, getting the right one. Because if you get one without a safety and you discourage yourself or hit yourself in the mouth or destroy your bow or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, um, then, uh, you know, it could be detri detrimental to everything as far as, uh, your shooting form and, you know, right. style of shooting. All right, so I'm going to admit something to you that's kind of embarrassing, and it was it was <laughs> well, this. Go ahead. We we work in the release business, and if you think you know you've done something that nobody else has done, you're wrong. So <laughs> I mean, go go ahead, but uh, we've seen it all. <laughs> well, okay. So at the this summer, I at the beginning of the summer, I thought about you know I, I'm I'm doing some reading and research, and everybody's going or shooting these, these T handles or these, uh, handle releases. And yep. I've, I've been trying to 
you know, up, up my game and try to be the most accurate archer that I can. So I go into the, uh, the archery shop and I, the, the guy who run in the, um, lane that day gives me a, a T handle. I don't know what brand it was, but the very first time I draw back with it, something happened. I don't know what, but it ripped out of my hand and it slapped me right in the face and I had to go get three stitches in my, in my chin. Yep. What That's did customary. I do? And what, what happens is, well, there, there, there's a number of things that could happen. I can tell you what we see the most. And that is, um, when an archer comes to full draw, if they hear something or feel something, uh, you know, because your hand is close to your ear, close to your face or coming close to your face or ear, um, uh, you know, it's, it's automatic response to let go. And I've done this, uh, I can, I can tell you probably 20 years ago, I shot a cascade release. And if you're not familiar with the cascade, a cascade is a release that you draw with your thumb on a button. And when you push that button in, it clicks. So you push this button in and you draw the bow. And then when you get to full draw, you let up on the button and that's what causes the release to fire. Well, I had come to full draw and we were shooting 3D and it was rainy, wet anyway. So my hands were slippery. And when I came to full draw, I remember hearing something funny. And when I did, I panicked and let go of the release. Well, 90% of the time, the release aid is going to ride the string forward until the string starts to oscillate and knocks it off. Or it's going to be slung forward and it's going to hit the cables and then it's going to bounce back and hit you in the face. And that's what happened in my case. It actually popped back, hit me in the nose. I was wearing at the time a browning white shooter shirt and it just instantly turned red. <laughs> and I just thought, oh no, I busted my nose and face and I'm all messed up. But yeah, that's, you know, what happens is that that release is going to be slung forward. And like I said, it, it, I don't know, there's a thousand different scenarios, but, uh, you know, what happened was, I can tell you what happened even in your case is that release went forward. You either bounced off the arrow rest or the cable guard or the cable, um, you know, whether it's metal or carbon or whatever, or a roller guard, it's bounced off of that general arrow area and then actually bounce back into your face and you know that's what's hit you in the chin is that that release riding forward and then bouncing back and hitting you and we see it probably honestly at least five to six times a week where we get people that call in or uh, email us or say hey you know i let go of my release or i panicked and let go of it or something happened and it flew out of my hand or whatever. And it's, it's bounced off the string and hit me in the face or bounced off of something and it broke and we need it fixed or whatever. But most of the time, uh, we call it, uh, you know, shot through the bow. And a lot of times, uh, you know, what's happened is that they've let go of it for whatever reason. And, you know, it's hit the bow and, and bounced back and hit them. So that's, uh, you know, that's, customary like i said we see a, a lot per week and the thing that really gets me is the guys are like oh man my release broke all i was at full draw and the head came apart and and you know for whatever reason you know then they let go of the handle and it smashed up against the bow and destroyed their bow and they're like ah oh, 
you know, we want you to replace our bow and replace our teeth or whatever it may be. We've heard it all. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's something that's, that's, that, and our new archer that's, uh, you know, new to a handheld style release needs to be aware of because it can happen. And, you know, generally if it does happen, it's going to, it could be, you know, unhealthy, you know, like I said, if that's going to hit you in the face and, and, you know, knock your teeth out or bust your chin or, or whatever reason. Um, you know, so it's something that, uh, somebody new with a handheld style release needs to be aware of, but I don't think it's something that uh, needs to scare them away from because ultimately I think it will make them a better shooter. And, you know, the release aids are used in the, the proper methods that they're intended to use in, uh, to be used in, then, you know, all things are great. And there are instances when stuff happens and, uh, you know, a part's defective or, a release does fail. It happens, you know, it's just everybody's human. And, you know, when you're working with a mechanical, uh, product such as a release aid, you know, every manufacturer out there is going to tell you that, you know, there's a possibility that, uh, you know, something can happen as far as, uh, uh, an issue with the product. And, uh, you know, there you have it. But, uh, a lot of times, you know, in our, 20 years of business, you know, it's, there's been a lot of situations where it has been, uh, uh, user error or simply somebody just didn't, uh, you know, were, uh, properly maintain their, uh, their release, whether it's, uh, one of our high end target styles that is just simply out of adjustment. Uh, you know, we see it daily to where people don't take care of their stuff. They don't adjust their stuff or they do adjust it too much and they don't relock tight screws and screws move. Um, you know, so it's, it's possible and things like that do happen. So, so basically in, in my scenario, it was probably because I, I was just not familiar with how that released work worked. I wasn't, yep. you know, I didn't do it a hundred times like my wrist release and, and it absolutely. And then, but you're saying the more that someone does that, it's just not going to happen anymore. Yeah, well, I think you become more comfortable with it, and it's more like uh, tying your shoes. You know, it's secondhand. You don't even think about it. And, uh, you know, new people to that, uh, you know, it's just any, anything new. Uh, you know, it's there's always that risk of, you know, possibility that something like that uh, can happen. And most of the time, it's going to happen when you're least familiar with it. Right. Okay. Well, now that uh, we've gotten this far, um, this is this is, uh, you know, a hunting podcast that talks about hunting gear and equipment, and obviously uh, a release is part of that game. But mm-hmm. so I want to talk about some some of the hunting products that you guys offer, um, or you have sure. designed to, you know, you designed for hunting. But I want to go through some scenarios first, and the the first thing that I would like you to recommend to me would be a release for uh, one of your guys's products, a release for maybe a new hunter or a youth uh-huh. hunter. Okay. Uh, you know, just like any manufacturer out there, a lot of them, uh, you know, make something for everybody. Can we do that? Well, we have an unbelievable uh, release aid that's for, you know, anybody that's new, that's affordable. And the quality is just through the roof as far as, uh, you know, releases that are made by other manufacturers in that field. And what I would suggest in this situation with somebody new 
or somebody that needs a short, uh, um, they have a short, uh, uh, small wrist strap or small wrist that requires a small wrist strap or a small reach. Uh, and probably one of our most popular ones is called a bandit. Uh, and the bandit is, um, you know, a simple caliper style release. You actually pull the trigger to open the jaws, put it on your D loop or your bowstring and let up on the trigger, um, to draw the bow back. And then when you get to full draw, of course you just squeeze the trigger again. So there's no noise. It's perfect for hunting scenarios uh, and it's perfect for kids. Um, the nice thing about the, the bandit is it is attaches to the wrist strap with a piece called a red rope connector. And this red rope connector has infinite settings to where you can adjust the rope length for different reaches. So you're going to be able to accommodate that young man, you know, as young as however young, you know, somebody's going to shoot, uh, all the way up to an actual adult. Um, you know, all of our release aids, no matter if it's the, the cheapest all the way up to the most expensive can accommodate a junior wrist strap for small wrists all the way up to a large wrist strap for anybody else. And this bandit being able to adjust that reach is, uh, you know, real small or let it out real long for, you know, somebody with long fingers, it covers that whole vast uh, range of possibilities that you might run into as a shop owner or as a consumer that's looking for something real short for a young kid, somewhere in the middle for a woman or uh, a man with smaller reach or all the way out to something long, you know, somebody with long fingers in uh, uh, a long reach. So, and the nice thing is, is that thing retails for thirty four ninety nine, so it's affordable. That everybody's going to be able to to afford it. It's not going to break the bank. However, you're getting something, uh, you know, that's well worth uh, well worth its weight in gold as far as being dependable and uh, you know the highest quality that you're going to be able to get. So I would recommend the Bandit and uh, in, in that aspect and uh, and go from there. Okay. All right, so my dad buys me a bandit, right? Uh, uh-huh. I'm, I'm 12 years old, uh, or I'm a, I'm new hunter. Now I've been I've been hunting years. I'm trying. I'm doing my own research. I'm trying to go out on my own and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. We talked about progression a little bit ago. Sure. What maybe would you recommend for that the the guy who, you know, he's 18, 19 years old. He's been hunting by himself. Or, or shooting by himself now for a handful of years without, you know, without parent supervision, he's, he's eager to get out there and, you know, motivated to be a better archer and be a, a good hunter. Sure. Uh, what, what do you recommend from either a, a handle or a wrist strap point of view or both? Okay. Well, I'll touch on both. Um, you know, simply because, you know, when you get to that age and you put that much time into it, uh, you know, and this could be anybody that starts, uh, you know, they've been shooting for say, let's five or six years. So they're, they're, they've been shooting long enough that, uh, they've gotten used to what they're using, but they think they can get a little bit better. So they're going to maybe start experimenting with a couple of new things. And I didn't mention this with the bandit, but I'm going to mention this with this next series. And, uh, a lot of that is going to be, uh, adjustment. So, I've graduated up now and I'm looking at something maybe with a little bit more adjustment. Uh, the bandit has a travel adjustment only. 
So it's kind of nice for that beginner because they're not going to be messing around with it much. It's going to be very limited on what you can uh, customize uh, with that particular release, and that's why it's priced the way it is. So now we've graduated, you know, five or six years later to a, you know, maybe we're going to, you know, move up a little bit, spend a little bit more money. We're going to say we're going to go maybe to the $79 retail range to maybe the, um, let's say $99 uh, retail range. So we're going to get a release that's called, it's, it's our FANG series. And there's three different models in this FANG series. And this, uh, there's original FANG, there's a FANG GS, and a FANG RC. And, um, you know, what basically we're getting is the same particular release aid. The only thing that's changing is that connection from the head of the release to the wrist strap is a little different. And that is what's going to uh, change the price a little bit too. But for the most part, it's going to be in that 80 to $100 price range. And with that, we've got now more customizable features. We got the ability to choose between a forward or a relaxed style trigger. So depending on how, you know, getting back to that touch feel type aspect, you may want a, a forward style trigger or you may want a more comfortable relaxed style trigger. The relaxed style trigger seems to be more popular. A lot of guys with a shorter draw will go with that uh, forward style or straight style trigger to be able to attain a little bit more draw length. And I'm not talking like inches. I'm talking like, you know, maybe a quarter inch of draw. Um, But that's, you know, with that feature, the ability to change the trigger and that both of those come in the package. Also the ability to change a spring to make the release heavier and or lighter, depending on which spring you use is also a customizable feature within that release, hence the little bit more money. So, you know, you're going to be graduating into something with a little more adjustment is what it gets down to. On the other side, with the handheld style, I would suggest something called a Max 4 in our lineup. And what this is, is it's basically um, the same setup as uh, the Bandit, like I mentioned earlier, as far as the way it works. You pull the thumb trigger to open the jaws, you put it on your D-loop, and you let up on the trigger. That activates the release. So, again, we're getting into minimal adjustment, um, and it's going to be, I think, I think the price range on that handle is like $100. But, uh, you know, it's, it's right in there with the high-end FANG-style releases at $100. So, um, basically, you know, what you need to look at is you're going to be Getting pretty much in our lineup, uh, the um, the lowest price handheld we have, you know, and that's going to be in that hundred dollars range, hundred dollar range that I would suggest. And like I mentioned, that's the Max Pro Four, and and you know, again, you're probably going to be new to a handheld style release, so there's not a lot of adjustment in it. Um, but uh, it's a perfect release for somebody that wants to try it and jump into that method without spending the two or $300 that's going to come with our higher end target handheld releases. Right. All right. So now I want to talk about uh, a category of people who I used to be, and I, to be honest with you, still might be a part of that. I'm a, I'm a hunter, not necessarily an archer. um, And I don't go out and shoot 
every day. I don't go out and shoot every week. Um, when it's hunting season, right. that's when I focus on my archery. Is there a release dedicated for a guy like me? Um, no, I mean, in, in that situation, uh, you know, you could be, you know, depending on how long you've done it. Uh, you know, I know guys that, you know, are just like you and, you know, they shoot back tension release aids or they shoot high end thumb activated releases or they shoot high end wrist strap releases. So there's, there's, it just depends on the situation and what you feel best for you. But, uh, you know, I don't think there's, uh, anything specific in that regard. Um, you know, it just depends in that situation. I think it's more, you know, personalized to, you know, the shooter situation, because I think, uh, you know, in our whole product line, I think there's great shooters that shoot everything from top to bottom. Uh, you know, whether it's somebody that's just starting out and they want to get the low end, whether it's the people in the middle that have been shooting for five or six years that, uh, shoot releases and, you know, the, you know, all different, uh, price ranges or whether it's the guy that's got to absolutely have the latest, greatest thing, whether it's $50 or $350, they have it. So I think, you know, it's it, in that situation with the question that you had, I think it's kind of open to, you know, the person in the situation. Right. So long story short, I just need to start shooting my bow all the time. I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's a great way to look at things. And at that, it always comes a right. month off or month, uh, two months off is a lot of times better off for a person that, you know, may be on the, on the verge of developing a bad habit just right. to step away too. So right. I wouldn't necessarily say all the time, but I would say that, uh, you know, take a break every now and then. <laughs> right, right. And my biggest advice there, and this is something I preach all the time is, arrows and you know it's always preached that you should just hang it up and try it and so don't continue to like crap because you're just going to discourage yourself and start changing things and probably nine times out of th- out of ten, it's things that don't need to be changed. So, right. if you're if you're if you're not practicing good, just hang it up and go do something the life tells you to, or go scout or something, and and come back again and try it tomorrow. So it's okay to have a bad day. Absolutely, we all have them. Gotcha. gotcha. Now, yep. the last uh, the last uh, kind of hunter slash archer that I want to talk about is someone who uh, I had a conversation with a guy and he says that his dad is getting out of archery just because he's getting old and he's doesn't, you know, it's, some of these bows are just, you know, it's, it's harder for him to draw. Um, it's his, uh, he's an older guy than me. So his sure. dad's like in his seventies. Yeah. Is there, is there a release maybe for maybe the archer who's, he's been gun ho his whole life, but now age is catching up to him and he needs to, he needs to go back to the basics or, or something like that. 
a lot of times you'll see that that transgression will start going backwards once it reaches a peak. And a lot of times you'll see people that have, you know, shot the best of their ability and they start going, uh, you know, going on that downward slope. A lot of times people transgress back to a wrist strap style release because it is a little easier. It uh, diverts a lot of the weight from the fingers to the wrist. Um, so you will see that. In that situation, I think the more important uh, part of uh, my equipment would be my setup and my bow. I mean, you can't tell me that the bows today aren't more technologically advanced than they were 15 or 20 years ago. So there's something there to fit that guy. He just needs to find it. And, uh, you know, with the let off designs today, uh, I mean, you can, you can get a bow that, uh, you know, is extremely high let off. Uh, it's either adjustable in the bow or you can get specific modules or cams or whatever. Um, and you can order these, these bows these ways, uh, you know, to fit anybody that, you know, is going to have any type of, uh, I'm not going to call it a disability, but I'm going to say, um, you know, requirement for, uh, you know, that kind of let off or poundage or whatever it may be. So I think in that regard, it's, it's, yeah, there's going to be a transgression, uh, you know, that, uh, that person may want to go back to a wrist strap style release. So it is a little easier for them to pull, but, uh, you know, I think more importantly, the bow selection would be important, uh, in getting the right setup because I would rather see, you know, from my business or our business that we are involved in, I'd much rather see that person stick with a vertical, uh, uh, mm -hmm. it's just educating yourself to know what's out there instead of just saying, no, I'm too old. I'm just going to go buy a product. Right. stuff out there that's going to work. And uh, I'm not, you know, disrespecting crossbows, but it's just, as you know, looking at it from our point of view in our business, you know, you know, that's, that's where I think a lot of people are misled or they just don't educate themselves enough is, uh, you know, actually knowing what's available and how much things have changed, uh, you know, for me since 1986. So, I mean, it's amazing what those were back then to what they are now. I can tell you my personal experience, I've only had one bow that ever come apart on me while I was shooting it. And I don't know if you're familiar enough with it, with this uh, style or system, but there used to be bows that had uh, steel cables yep. uh, and they had what they call a teardrop on the end of it. It was basically made out of lead. It looked like a lead weight that you would go fishing with and the cables and strings and everything hooked up to this type of system. Well, that, type of system is the only thing that's ever failed me in let's see 30 about 30 years of shooting and uh you know it's amazing because the bows are i would say probably almost twice as fast as what they were mm -hmm. back then and it just is a huge uh shout out to the companies that are making these string materials the companies that are making these bows uh, you know, and the technology that's put into all that uh, has came, you know, from where they came from is just amazing. They've leaps and bounds of uh, improvements and all, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's just basically educating yourself, um, you know, especially if, you know, you're older and you're maybe stuck in your ways. 
of actually knowing, you know, knowing what's out there now in 2016. Right. Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, thank you very much, Brandon, for coming on the show and, uh, and chatting with us today. Uh, we got a, a ton of information for you. I know that the listeners are going to like this. Um, yeah. if people want to find out more information about Trueball, where should we send them? Uh, I would send them to, you know, our website, uh, our website, we have two. Uh, the first is www.trueball.com, T-R-U-B-A-L-L. Uh, and then we also have www.excelsites.com. That's A-X-C-E-L-S-I-G-H-E-S. Uh, if you're interested in our site lineup as well, uh, which is a whole nother avenue. And maybe we'll have to have another, another podcast talking about the, uh, development of our sites from 2007 till now, but uh, you know those are our two websites. Uh, check them out there. Uh, you can email us at trueball at trueball dot com. We you know we get thousands of uh, of questions and uh, stuff like that throughout the uh, course of the year on anything. And uh, you know we have a Facebook page uh, at Trueball Archery, and we get a lot of questions on there. We put a lot of videos up there. I do a lot of informational videos and new product releases and all that is uh, also on there. Um, we have a YouTube channel. So there's, there's plenty of different outlets for uh true ball archery. Just uh, search it in any search engine and you'll get something. And uh, you know, like I said, we, we answer questions daily. Uh, and most of the time, the, if somebody asks a question, the, they get their answer within the 24 hour period. So um any of those outlets, feel free to get a hold of us, and we will help as much as we can or get you the help you need. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks again. Thank you, and uh, anytime I'll be happy to, uh, to do it again sometime. There you have it. We got a end to another podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, Brandon, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to uh, come on and talk about Trueball. Thanks to all the listeners, each and every one of you. Thanks for taking time to download. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's that time of year, guys. Get it in the woods. Get in the woods. Get in the woods. Get in the woods. Get in the woods. Bribe your wife with something fancy like uh, a McDonald's dollar menu meal. I'm kidding. Don't do that. That would insult her, and you'd probably get less hunting time. But buy her a new house. Or buy, or buy her a diamond ring because it is worth it. It's not feasible, but it's worth it. Anyway, anyway, guys, huge shout out to our sponsors of the show, DeerLab.com backslash Nine Fingers, and you can receive 30-day free trial period. Guys, go do it. It's worth it. Um, and then also ExodusOutdoorGear.com. Go check out Exodus Trail Cameras. Like I said, follow me before the last podcast, whatever. Um, Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, follow my little rutcation that I got going. I don't know when exactly this is going to launch the first week, the 7th, 8th, or 9th of uh, November. But uh, um, follow me, follow along. Uh, I'll be posting pictures and talking a little of the strategy that I'm doing. Other than that, guys... Use your head and wear your damn safety harness. Good luck.